Hello. I've got a pretty packed episode today, so I don't want to waste too much time on preamble and I want to kind of just get right into it. But a couple of, of, of PSAs to start off with. Um, if you have not yet seen the interview I did with Jason DeMarco, uh, one of the founders of Toonami and still, who still programs Toonami now, um, I, I would encourage you to go check it out. Uh, I, it was a really great interview. I did it shortly after um, the, I recorded the last episode. So I actually got to talk to somebody who worked on Toonami in those early years about a lot of the stuff I was talking about to myself on that episode. So uh, it was it was really interesting and cool. Um, so check that out. Also, I have recently come in possession of a Blu-ray of Ghost in the Shell, the original animated film uh, with limited steelbook packaging and exclusive Mondo artwork. And I would like to give it away to somebody. I would like to give it away to somebody who has written a review for this podcast on iTunes. So if you've already done that, that's great. If you haven't yet, please go do so. And in the next couple weeks, I will pick one at random and send you this nifty DVD I have. So get on that. I appreciate you. Appreciate you all. All right, let's get this. Let's get this show on the road. Welcome to It's Cool to Like Anime, episode eight. So welcome back to the show, recurring featured player, Molly Lambert. How's it going? Good. I uh, I first want to apologize because I feel like my role in your life going forward now that I've started this podcast is to force you to watch um, scary anime. Um, never <laughs> apologize for that. It's... <laughs> was my secret dream that you would become my coach in <laughs> coaching me through having to watch uh, anime that I was too scared to watch as a kid that I now can face. Well, that was the thing. I feel like when we would talk about Satoshi Kon movies and we talked about like anime in general and, you know, if I was trying to get you to watch something or another and don't worry, like this is not the end of it. I am going to try to force you to watch some, some more <laughs> scary stuff. But um, I, I feel like I was... Uh, I feel like that was always your thing of like, it's too scary. Like anime is too scary. And most of the time, I don't know what you're talking about when you say that. But in the case of Angel's Egg, the 1985 Mamoru Oshii original video animation that we're discussing today, uh, it's Mm -hmm. totally warranted. So there's no better (laughs) film I could have asked you, Molly, to watch with me. (laughs) Um, And I, I was telling you right before we started recording that I had been planning to watch 2001 that night, mm-hmm. and then I watched Angel's Egg as like a, a pre-show, and it was it was perfect. I didn't yeah. end up watching 2001 yet, but um, yeah, it's just the music is very similar. Totally, yeah. And I think 2001 is kind of scary in a similar way in that if you can't, if everything doesn't feel like a one-to-one analogy of, en- of anything that you recognize, mm-hmm. it drives you crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It kind of pulls out the rug from you in terms of uh, what to expect from a film. Uh, And I think like, especially if you see 2001 at a young age, when you're first kind of branching out and what you're watching, then it kind of has that effect that first time that you watch something that is does not resemble anything structurally that you've watched up until that point. I mean, there's no shortage of videos online of of anime fans trying to explain their theories about different series and stuff. And I watched a few of them for this because they exist. And it's like, I feel like the tools that you bring to discuss most anime and like tropes and stuff like that you kind of have to throw that toolbox out and some some people were more successful than others I'll say (laughs) like addressing (laughs) this film or trying to get their heads around it yeah I mean I I found that it kind of broke my brain open in a great way because uh maybe I finally am ready to deal with what I find scary about sort of the nightmare logic of things like Angel's Egg Mm -hmm. um because it is just that it's like that nightmare world where you have a task and her task is to protect the egg. Mm-hmm. 
um, from sort of maybe her companion and also just from the, the dystopian <laughs> abandoned city. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think now that the real world is so scary, what better way to deal with it than to plunge headfirst into things that I used to think were scary that now seem informative and helpful. So we should contextualize yeah. it just a little bit. So Mamoru Oshii uh, made this film in 1985. And um, I'm going a little bit out of order, uh, but uh, this was after a lengthy tenure he had had with the Urusei Yatsura franchise, which is um, about as far away from this film as you could possibly get. It's kind of just like a passion project. So it was a collaboration with him and Yoshitaka Amano, who uh, is well known for doing a lot of um, kind of concept art and interpretive art of the early Final Fantasy games. And it was uh, it was just a video release, and it was not very successful critically or commercially. Like nobody bought it really, but. This was 1985, and there was just a lot of money out there for uh, creative flights of fancy for anime directors. Um, and so that's why we have this film, and that's why it's like this fully formed, you know, big budget uh, animated feature film, essentially, with an original score and, you know, these incredible designs. And it's like, there's no commercial viability whatsoever. It's just an art piece. And there was, there was, uh, it, this is when you could do that, which is great, but. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I was thinking kind of, it's like when you see storyboards for like a big sci-fi movie and they mm -hmm. show you just like all the crazy concept art that didn't make it in, but yeah. that, you know, they just like let people draw concept art for mm -hmm. a year of cool stuff in their mind. Yeah. It's like a movie of that. Yeah, like all the old um, concept art for the Star Wars movies like feels like yeah. a darker and more... It, 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 obviously, I mean, I love Star Wars movies, but like they do feel like a, like a more mature or like a sophisticated universe more than the actual final product, uh, product which is usually more shiny. Or, um, yeah, it's just, it, it's like this other divergent path that didn't so much happen in America of just like, well, why is animation have to be child oriented? Right. It's just a medium that you can use. I, I don't know. I find like nothing scarier than scary animation. Is yeah. Maybe why I'm so well, affected. And in particular, Amano's designs are like pretty unsettling. Uh, his, his faces and the way he designs characters, like, especially when there are these long pauses where somebody just has this absolutely placid and like miserable look on their face <laughs> for like yes. a 15 second shot. And you're just like staring into those eyes and it can get to you. And like the, the hopelessness of the world that Angel's Egg takes place in can get to you just through the designs of those characters and the way that they express themselves. So the, the scenario more or less. And I'm not even like terribly clear on all of it. <laughs> I'll admit I watched it twice in the last week and I'm like n not a hundred percent on some parts, but it, it does take I, place. I feel like you couldn't, like nobody could be. Cause yeah. even th the director says like, Oh, I don't know what it's about. Yeah. Exactly. It's one of those great, some of the, some of the best movies are the ones where the director says, I have no idea what this movie is about. And that's, um, tends to be a pretty good sign, I would say. Yeah. But it, it, it is in this kind of abandoned city. Um, I kind of felt like at first that um, that there had been some kind of invasion or some kind of um, uh, cataclysmic event from like an invading force because of uh, that the opening scene with like the ship coming down, the like the weeping eyeball ship coming down and, yeah. and all the like statues and everything. But I'm not so sure on that now. Uh, I... At any rate, this is a, a post-society world, and there is just this, you know, one of the only survivors is this little girl who has an egg, and she has to kind of look after it, and she encounters a guy who I also can't tell if he's from that earth or uh, is a part of the, the outsiders coming in, 
again, I feel like this is sort of the point that we don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> they kind of wander around. They wander around this hellscape, I guess. Or it's not quite a hellscape. It's a nightmarescape. And they kind of talk about memories and uh, and protecting the things that are important to you and uh, and whether or not what they're experiencing is reality or not. And then he, um, when she's sleeping, he breaks her egg, which, you know, has kind of... That's the big dramatic action of the movie. Yeah. Um, with a, with a, a big scream also, which is pretty, oh, like, bone chilling. Um, so sad. Yeah. And, and then that's it. And then it feels like we, it feels cyclical. It feels like it goes back to the beginning again at the end in a way. Um, just because yeah, I saw maybe the beginning as like a premonition. Hmm. That, that was how I interpreted it. But maybe that was also colored by the fact afterwards that I read about the director being really into La Jetée. Mm, and that yeah. made it make a lot of sense because that's another movie that's just like, hey, let's like take all these rules of film that we take for granted and just throw them out. Yeah. And see what else we can do. Yeah. But yeah, that image of the orb at the beginning it does mm-hmm. feel kind of, you know, like some parts of 2001. You're like, how does this relate to the rest of the movie? Yeah. It doesn't actually matter. Yeah. It all feels p- like part of one one thoughtscape. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that changes in the second time we see it is that there's the image of her. She's like a, a statue on the ship. And maybe that was there before. Maybe that wasn't. Yeah. And that was terrifying. Yeah. Something about people being made into statues. But just, yeah, she, um, after the egg gets broken, she, I guess, commits suicide, but becomes sort of transformed into the adult version of herself for a second, then barfs up a a bunch of eggs. That was so cool. She blows a stream of bubbles and they all turn into eggs. And then I guess the cycle starts over again with many more eggs. Um, (laughs) I mean, you, you know, there's only so much you can really get out of describing the events of this film, I think. Well, there's barely any dialogue, too, which is great. A lot of it is just crazy visuals of them wandering around in sort of this giant, scaled, frightening kind of H.R. Geiger. Yeah. You know, do you think metal? This literally just occurred to me, like, as I'm trying to piece this together in my own feeble way, is the ship is the eyeball ship. Um, the arc. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. Because so at one point, and this is like I really like the part where he talks about Noah Noah's arc because it's just so like so. Memoro Oshi also apparently wrote this or conceived of this after he had like lapsed in his uh, Christian faith, which I did not know yes, that he was ever most... a Christian, but makes sense yeah. um, a lot. That's kind of the most direct thing that you it seems like it could be about yeah Um, although even then if you try to match everything up to like this person's jesus and this is mary then it starts to it loses something because it doesn't feel right it just feels like everything almost carrying around a crossbow that looks like a cross the entire time yes like that's very very that is not subtle at all yeah and there are people who live in the city that are fishermen yeah that are hunting for coelacanths so I saw some people saying that they think it's about this idea of like putting your faith in these mystical things that you have been told are true that don't don't exist. Maybe I want I want to I'm going to table that because I want to talk about that part specifically with the fish. But I did want to talk about the the Noah's Ark thing just because he he talks about the um, the idea like in his alternate version of the Noah's Ark story, uh, they send out the bird and then the bird doesn't come back and everybody forgets about the bird. And then everybody on the ship turns to stone uh, or no, everybody like everybody on earth has turned to stone and, and the the bird doesn't remember where it went. Like, it's just like this sort of unmooring, like about, you know, who knows what your identity is, what your origin is as a being and all this stuff. Like, but I only thought of that because all of those statues are, are all those figures on the ship are, look like they're stone. That's the only thing that I thought of. But yeah, the the fish part, I think, is is my favorite visually from it. Um, a lot and it, a lot of it reminds me of um, like my favorite part in Spirited Away, where they take the train out over the water 
And it's mm-hmm. sort of this ghost world outside of the spirit spa where there are these like ghostly figures that look like the fishermen that are on the train. And it's sort of like, it's sort of like Christmas carolish. Like there are people that are in front of you that are existing on like a different time space plane and you can't really interact with them. And they're just sort of like these visions or like recollections of a prior time or civilization or something. Yeah. And again, it's like in, in a American movie, it feels like there would be more pressure to explain what any of these things right. are. Uh, and because they never explain it, you just get to not know, which is the best. Um, Cause they're all just really creepy images um, that stir just a weird nightmare part of your brain. That's not usually operating when you're conscious. Yeah. What do you think? What is it about like for you specifically that makes, um, animation easier to evoke this sort of creepy nightmare, surreal feeling more so than live action, like even the most elliptical kind of dreamlike live I think, action. I think because you can show things that are more abstract, um, you know, I get really bothered by bad CGI. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of prefer bad practical effects because they give you that weird sort of physicality of, of something creepy just any or maybe it's just nostalgia that movies with a lot of late 80s early 90s mm-hmm. practical effects remind me of just like those are the movies I first saw that scared the hell out of me yeah um but yeah with animation it's just like as expensive as this movie was like thinking about building it as sets would be just impossible yeah um it's yeah it's just like some of the parts of alien that are the most set designed the egg chamber and stuff yeah. like that. It's like an entire planet of egg chambers. Yes, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just the, the egg imagery was, you know, also made me think about alien a lot and just about wanting to protect your egg. Well, it's a much more, it's a much more like female idea or kind of theme around a post-apocalyptic scenario, you know, like there's not like a lot of like conflict it's just about protection and like keeping, you know, keeping something uh, safe. It's like the ideological conflict is between the girl who wants to protect the egg and see what hatches out of it. And the crossbow guy who is like, no, the only way to find out what's in the egg is to crack it open. Yeah. Uh, which presumably also kills whatever would be growing in it. But maybe then you get the, the direct answer that you were looking for so one of the one one of the videos that i watched was was uh was theorizing that the and maybe this is just like a well-known theory for this film i have no idea because i hadn't really done any reading on it before this but uh they were kind of putting it out there that the egg itself was reality or what whatever was in it (laughs) was reality and so when you crack the egg like the it's like a Schrodinger's cat thing, maybe a little bit. Like you can put all this, um, you you can put all this importance and and uh, and weight into this thing that you have no idea uh, what it is on the inside. Like when she's when she's listening to it and she says, you know, oh, I hear, I can hear your breath, and the guy's like, that's just your breath, and she's like, I can hear, I can hear something that sounds like the dream of flying. And he's like, no, that's just the wind outside, and it's sort of this thing of. <laughs> She's just assigned all this meaning to this thing without right. having seen it. Um, but then she takes him to the cave where there's like the terrifying Archaeopteryx skeleton mm-hmm. embedded in the cave wall that's mm-hmm. like an angel. Yeah. But totally. a giant, a giant frightening angel. A raptor um, angel. A raptor angel. And she says, oh, here's the proof of, you know, this is what it's going to be when it when it comes out of the egg. I would like a supercut of everything that has been called an angel in anime over the years (laughs) because they are all so terrifying. Like that is clearly an angel, right? Like that is the angel of angel's egg is this bird thing with a human head. And like, you'll get, you'll appreciate this because it's star Wars, but I got mad today. First of all, it's not St. Patrick's day anymore. And I just saw a guy (laughs) who was wearing a, leprechaun themed it was like a saint patrick's day themed yoda shirt where like yoda is a leprechaun and i was like yoda is not a leprechaun (laughs) we can't just fucking retcon characters to be whatever 
suits a holiday. Oh my god! I thought, so I thought you were gonna say something. Wait, what does that have to do with angels? <laughs> just you know that I was like, you just can't call anything a leprechaun if it's green. <laughs> Doesn't automatically make it a leprechaun. I when like I I just think it's interesting that that. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen like a regular traditional angel in 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 Japanese animation. I think uh, yeah, in in Evangelion, the angels like some of them actually look the way that angels were described in like the original kind of apocryphal mm-hmm. like books of the Bible. Like 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 I think a seraphim was supposed to just be like wings with eyeballs all over them, which is totally like what a couple of the things in Evangelion look like. And I always was really into that as a kid because my mom would tell me about that and be like, yeah, you know, like angels are supposed to look at, actually look like freaky monsters. <laughs> and I was always taken with that idea a lot. I like that idea. Does that mean that dinosaurs were angels? Maybe so. That explains everything. Now we can now yeah. we can kind of finally meld creationism and evolution together. <laughs> it's all right, you guys. Been our plan all along. <laughs> that was the point of this podcast, really. Um, this episode specifically. Can I tell you about an egg experience of mine? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I the other thing I've been doing besides watching things that I find uh, scary or otherworldly, because um, yeah, I've also been just been watching a lot of Kubrick movies. I watched The Shining. Yeah. Recently, again, just because they're like great to project, and because they now seem less scary than reality. Um, Do you think the seventies were more scary or less scary than right now? Um, I feel like they probably felt just as scary. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like also that was the feeling I got from going to the Atomic Museum about the fifties. <laughs> yeah, I was that's like, true. Oh my also. god. nothing is weirder than like frightening atomic bomb stuff in the 50s which you know and like there uh, wasn't necessarily the like it wasn't as mainstream to express that unease in pop culture so we have less of a record of it in that way like right but we also have a bunch of sweet movies about like giant ants and stuff yes yes definitely (laughs) that explore repressed feelings um (laughs) so my way of exploring repressed feelings now is that I've been watching nature cams on explore.org. Um, oh, uh, is that like the underwater cameras and stuff? Or do they yeah, do the, like the like submarine dives? No, that one, I also watch those. <laughs> That's where they found these the cute little like, octopus. Yeah, right? I love those. Yeah. No, these are like um, fixed cameras. A lot of them are at zoos and aquariums, but then some of them are, there's one of like an African watering hole. That's mm. like three cameras on this little oasis and it just will be like whatever animals show up that day Mm -hmm. you'll get to see sometimes if you're watching it live uh and then they compile them into like greatest hits off hours reels but there's a bunch of bird cams there's like a northern lights cam but i got really into the bird cams and specifically into this eagle cam that's just like an eagle defending its nest it's just like a live stream of an eagle sitting on eggs And the most action that ever happens is that the eagle will like get up and look at the eggs and like then sit back down. Um, And then I got into another one recently that's like an owl. That's basically the same thing. Um, And I find it so calming and so just great because I also got so invested in just like these eggs surviving that when I watched Angel's Egg, I was like... I am so primed for this right now. That's incredible. That's such good. Like, that's such a good series. I think I saw you tweeting about that now that I recall. It's like night vision of like owls just looking super, super fierce. Yeah, it's just like this cool owl and then it'll be like raining or snowing and it'll just like hunker down to, you know, protect the eggs by putting its wing over it. Um, I find it just incredibly inspiring and maybe also just like, Ooh, I wish my only job in life were to take care of an egg. Yeah. You had one job as they say, (laughs) but even that gets really suspenseful when the owl will like leave the nest and come back. There's like 10 minutes where you're like, Oh, what if something else gets there and eats the egg? Oh my God. That's so terrifying. Well, like, yeah. I think you guys were talking on, on North Mollywood recently about Planet Earth 2, which I want to watch. But, like, just from watching the first Planet Earth, 
you know, how many times something does happen to the egg, something horrible does oh, happen God. to the cute little babies. And it's like, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that is life in nature. Yeah. I have to watch a nature documentary that's called uh, Baby Animals in the Wild, <laughs> where nothing bad ever happens. Yeah. And it has names like Baby Animals Forest Morning. Oh, my God. It's it's the best. Because I was watching like a, a real nature. <laughs> it, it's like a candle. <laughs> it's like if anything bad happens, it just cuts away way before it. Oh, man. It's just like, and then nothing bad ever happened. And they all grew up to be cute adult animals. Um, somebody should make a cut of Angel's Egg with whatever the music is they use for that. Um, just like, here's a baby animal. It's a human this time, but the baby animal just has to make make it make a go of it in the wild. Um, well, yeah, we'll just cut the happy the happy Angel's Egg. Yeah. Although arguably it is happy, we don't know. It's hard to tell. I mean, you know, uh, the thing about a crisis of faith is that. You can't tell about what's happy or not happy anymore because right. <laughs> it's a, a bubblegum crisis. And is a <laughs> it truly is. It truly was <laughs> a bubblegum crisis. Um, this has definitely inspired me to go deeper into, um, you know, because these are also like I would like pick these things up at the video store and be like, "Ooh, this looks terrifying. Mm-hmm. Can't rent this because I'll never sleep again." Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I'm a grown up and Yeesh. I can rent it. <laughs> we should watch um, something I haven't seen uh, that is like a, a fave right now. That's having a moment uh, in the last couple of years is Belladonna of Sadness. Um, oh yeah, it, it seems like it is the uh, Paul Verhoeven's L of anime. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen it. Uh, but I'd be open to that. I, I did like L. I, uh, yeah. I'm on record as having loved L. Yeah. Well, let's watch all the disturbing Art Nouveau themed anime. Yeah. Like uh, vaguely gynecological horror uh, animated. <laughs> That's where we live. That's uh, <laughs> our zone. That is our life. In a giant tooth cave <laughs> where skeletons are buried <laughs> um, it me me yeah <laughs> it me the egg casket <laughs> I would like to uh, take my little commercial break corner to do a little something called tripod that is hashtag T-R-Y-P-O-D. And it's just a little way for um, podcasters, current podcasters to get people into other podcasts that they like, spread the word about podcasts, uh, promote the art of podcasting uh, by recommending other stuff. So I would like to use my, my tripod corner to shout out a couple of podcasts. One is a friend of the podcast and and a podcast uh, co-hosted by my last guest, Molly Lambert. It is North Mollywood on the MTV Podcast Network. Um, She co-hosts with Alex Papadimus and I guess now permanent member of the North Mollywood trio, Andrew T. They're all great. Um, It is the most Southern California podcast that I listen to. I also want to shout out a podcast called Imaginary Worlds. And this is a podcast I was on maybe about a year ago and uh, have been listening to ever since then. Uh, it's hosted by Eric Malinsky, and he does uh, short on the short side episodes. I think they tend to be under the 30-minute mark, um, exploring different themes of science fiction and fantasy uh, getting into different sub communities and he's you know he's got a really he's got a really pro style he's better at this than I am and edits his own stuff on his own um, and he's just a really good host to take you through stuff like um, a, the community of map makers for for science fiction and fantasy books uh, he recently did a podcast about um, uh, black cosplayers and kind of the issues there with with playing somebody that people don't usually perceive as being the race that you are and doing it anyway because fuck everybody um and it's, it's it was a great episode and and his episodes tend to be 
they tend to end before I'm ready for them to end. So that's like the highest praise I can give. So yeah, North Mollywood and Imaginary Worlds. Check them out. Hashtag tripod. All right, I am back with Eric Thurm, a writer at GQ, Esquire, AV Club, the proprietor of Drunk TED Talks, and also a really great finder of rare CDs. We are like currently completely distracted because we've been looking at uh, pictures of people cosplaying their cats as Cube. <laughs> it's inc- it's really good, and you would think you would think it would be. Uh, a barrier to entry to turn your cat's eyes red, but there are, there are some good workarounds. We are discussing episodes three and four of Madoka Magica, perhaps the most important episode of the entire series is episode three, just in, is, as far as what we were talking about last week, the uh, initial impression the show gives and what it actually ends up being. So we're assuming that everybody who's listened to this podcast or is listening to this podcast has watched episode three because that's pretty much the biggest spoiler I think you can make. Should we just say it now? <laughs> Right, so uh, R.I.P. Mommy, <laughs> she's no longer with us. Womp womp. She got eaten. Uh, she got crunched on. That 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 comes in the very epi- end of the episode, and we'll we will get to that in a second. <laughs> so we're we're off with Mommy on another another witch mission, and we kind of learn more about the nature of these wishes. Speaking of, and uh, they ask Mommy, "Well, what did you wish for?" And we find out that Mommy didn't have a choice in what to wish for because she was dying when Kyube found her and her wish was just to not die. So that, uh, I think that's like why she says that that's why she cares so much that they make the right choice because they actually have a choice. And, and, and I think that's another part of why mommy is so like self-assured and probably like the coolest magical girl is that she's totally playing with house money. Yeah. Like for all of the other girls, like there's an element of regret that like, spoiler alert, like sometimes people become magical girls and they don't feel particularly good about it. Yeah. But mommy is just like, whatever. Like, Like, what else was I going to do? Yeah. I'm good. Like, (laughs) and no matter what happens, like she, everything that she gets after this is like an extra bonus. See, I had forgotten that that was, that was her wish and that, that you're right. That totally changes the way you see her character. Cause I had thought that her wish must have been to have unlimited money because of her dope ass oh apartment my God. and all of her cake everywhere. God. <laughs> her apartment kind of becomes its own character across these it's two so... episodes. Mostly, we are supposed to understand that she is a she's a middle school student too. She's just older, maybe a couple years older. Yeah, I think she's in ninth. I think she's in like ninth grade. Okay, I think they but say. she lives by herself yes. in this like huge. First of all, all the sets in Madoka Magic are, are huge. Uh, the bathroom is huge at Madoka's house. The school is huge, but Mommy's apartment is like this big, like kind of sprawling loft. It's, it's bigger. It's even bigger than all of the other big yeah. sets. Like it really calls <laughs> attention to how big it is. Um, I, I am really interested in why that is. Like I think, I think obviously there's a little bit of like wish fulfillment in a way just because those spaces actually don't exist in any urban space yes. in Japan but why isn't every show like that well <laughs> I so so one thing and and I, I I don't like at some point we might just stop being like then this is an analog for mommy's care but but the way that she presents herself especially in episode three is sort of as being this model of independent, self-sufficient womanhood. Yes, yes. And it feels very, if we're talking about like more spinoff things that could happen, like you could totally imagine a like mommy in the big city. Yeah. Yeah. Show. And that's what the apartment is. Like this apartment is like her sex in the city apartment or whatever, right. where she gets to be like a cool, urbane, successful woman. Right. But we learn via this flashback that her entire family died in this car crash or whatever happened. So she's that's this is why she's on her own. Like, it's not that a magical girl has to live on her own. It's that she actually literally doesn't have anybody else in her life. This becomes important later on this episode as well. Um, 
it's almost it's like a it's like a more glamorous version like a more idealized version of like jessica jones or something like yeah that, where it's just like i like the nature of my life and like past tragedies have made it so that i have to live by myself in like a weird apartment where i just it, sit around all the time and and i think it's useful to like think about the way that that presents itself contrasting the way that we're thinking about it now and the way that it pretty obviously, I think, appears to Madoka and Sayaka, where you don't even think about, oh, yeah, why would someone have to live? Right, exactly. <laughs> Just like, oh, this is dope. Yeah, like, yeah. hell yeah. So we find out we find out that about Mommy's wish. Um, and we also get the sense that, like, Kyube is really putting the pressure on Madoka and Sayaka at this point. Like, he's getting impatient for whatever reason. He really wants to make and, a magical and girl. And this is the one... Is this the one where he says... Or is it earlier where he says like people usually don't take this long? I think yeah, I think it's 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 this one. And he's just like maybe I should leave yeah. and go find some other girls. Yeah. And like no, Kyume, don't go. <laughs> well, this is the one where where mommy tells him like nobody likes a boy who pressures girls to do things. God, and we both we both <laughs> we both independently wrote down this line. Yeah, because uh, it's just like. It just says it all. Right it there. really, it's like, it's like, yes, like we found, like someone went diving and found the subtext of the show and just dragged yeah. it up and was like. Well, it's funny because, you know, you were asking, and I feel like this isn't the only time, but at this, on the surface, Cube is not really presented as having a gender at all. Um, even his voice is a little bit in between, but Cube is male and he is always referred to as male. And I feel like, uh, I was saying this reminded me a lot of Moromi and Paranoia Agent, who's like, um, who's also a, a, a little, like a male puppy, um, but like a hyper cute uh, little companion whose like benign face masks pure evil. <laughs> I want to say, I, 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 even even if there were some other moment where Cube like self identified as male. I think it's much more interesting in this context because I'm almost positive this is the first time anyone has gendered Kyube. Mm-hmm. And it happens in the context of Mommy describing it as like, you want something from women, you right. are male. Right. And I mean, Kyube goes on to do like a textbook uh, maneuver. Oh my God. Kyube, Kyube, AKA mystery. They're outside the school. And they see uh, a grief seed is is like pinned to the side of the school and it hasn't, it's not like active yet or like a witch hasn't shown up yet, but it's going to happen. So, uh, and Madoka and, and Sayaka are, are, have seen it and they don't know what to do. They're both, you know, neither of them are magical girls. And for whatever reason, Madoka can never seem to save mommy's phone number in her phone. Oh my God. <laughs> and neither of them have it. Yeah. And it's just like. How do you guys get together? How do you guys meet up for cake in her apartment? Like, what do you do? And she's outside of the, like, conveniently outside of the the Cube telepathy range. Yes, yeah. So Cube's like, hey, Monica, why don't you go find Mommy and I'll stay here with Sayaka and splits them up uh, so that he can pressure Sayaka on her own. They basically, uh, they basically just, like, hold down the fort for a while and, and, uh, Cube with his his silver tongue just like gets into her head. Um, he doesn't even have a tongue. I know. He just has a little cat mouth. We kind of get a little more insight into Monica's family. Again, our favorite like sub subplot of the show. Um, and this is the one where where Monica talks to her dad about. Um, I, I, I think the initial question is like, what do you love about her? This conversation, I think, is the most emotionally intelligent thing that anyone says on the show. And there are a lot of things that happen later in the show. But if one of the ways that you conceptualize the show is about presenting all of these different approaches to femininity and like understanding what it means for someone to be a woman, like this conversation fe- weirdly feels to me like the most nuanced and like correct articulation of that Mm -hmm. um which is weird because it's coming from her father and he says essentially your mother loves challenges and she loves accomplishing things Mm -hmm. and that's what makes her happy and so she is never she had never thought of herself as someone who would work 
in this corporate context. Yeah. And like, as we know, she's like way too into it, but he says that like her, her thing is being into it yeah. and that she loves overcoming the challenges and like accomplishing things. Yeah. And that's what makes her content. If she didn't have a challenge in front of her, like that would be a, some kind of loss of identity though. I feel like is the flip side of that. Yeah. The fact that as far as we can tell, she works in an all male uh, corporate environment and is, you know, staying up late and trying to, you know, outdo all of them and drink harder than all of them and everything. And and there are definitely, like, dr- obviously drawbacks to this. Like, it definitely, I, I don't know, like, probably not super... I mean, I guess she doesn't care as much, but probably not super cool to, like, be hungover in front of your kids all the time. Uh, but, again, it worked for Don Draper. Yes. <laughs> and, and this is just, like... And I, I appreciate sort of the the acknowledgement that, like, this is who she is. And, like, yeah. this is how she approaches her life. And she seems, like, pretty cognizant that those are the trade-offs that she's making. Yeah. And is mostly cool with them. And, yeah. like, you can, you can and probably should be, like, maybe there are some things you should do better at. Uh, but it seems like she's much more self-determined yeah. than everybody else. I think in that way, like, her and, and Madhavka herself are kind of inverse of each other because her mom is sort of like a lifestyle without necessarily a a, a central philosophy to it I would say like I I feel like it's a lot of it's 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 accomplishment and and providing for its own sake but I don't know you don't really get a sense of her having like a code that she lives by for example or something like that and isn't her code just like Get that paper. Get that paper. Well, yeah. yes, exactly. So she's Rihanna. I don't know. But uh, but 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 Monica is like doesn't you know is not nearly as driven. I think it's interesting that like she's her daughter. You would think that like growing up around this this sort of really driven mother would like make you feel like you had to live up to that in some way. But Monica is so passive and so non goal oriented in that way. But it seems like she does have a pretty good sense of like doing what's right and like sticking by her friends and being like, you know, knowing when she sees somebody do something that's mean or wrong or something like her, her inner, you know, compass is pretty strong. She's really kind. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense to me. Like it makes sense (laughs) that, that her in like faced with this very aggressive version of professional success that she would like conceptualize for her own. Although that's like a very adult thing for her to do. To yeah. be like, yeah. I will define success by my emotional attachments rather than by... Well, Cuba says she has a lot of potential. That's, that could yeah. be what I started oh talking God. about. She's very emotionally intelligent. Um, which is, again, like, this is, n- this is not unique to Monica. Like, I feel like this is a thing that runs through a lot of shows like this, where it's, like, emotional intelligence is the strongest, like, suit to to deal in, basically. And, and she says, like, pretty, like, upfront, uh, you know, like, the whole thing that's attractive to her about being a magical girl is, like, helping people. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, I didn't know someone like me could help people in this way, and that's the whole thing that she finds appealing about it. Yeah. So this this... This labyrinth shows up, um, and then Mommy and Madoka come in uh, after to, to go find Sayaka and Kyubei. But as they're as they're entering it, they get intercepted with Homura, and this is after a couple of exchanges, a couple of very dramatic, uh, laying down the law exchanges between Homura and Mommy where they tend to meet in a park and speak very dramatically in some, like, architectural structure. But Mommy is basically like, stay the fuck away from us. And next time I see you, I'm going to fight you and kill you. But, I mean, so we I don't think we've actually articulated this. Homura's main objective, as far as we know, is to keep Madoka from being a magical girl. And Mommy has has basically said, oh, it's probably because magical girls are really competitive and there are already two of us here and she doesn't want another one, a one who's probably going to be stronger than her because everybody like knows for some reason that if Madoka becomes a magical girl, she's going to be a really strong magical she's girl. She's got a lot of midichlorians. Yes, yeah, she's got a high midichlorian count. So mommy's just like, yeah, she's just jealous. But uh, Homura kind of, I, I don't know if she directly says, no, that's not that's not my, what my deal is. But there is, like, that is her, what she's trying to do now, is, is do everything in her power to keep Madoka from having to do, to sign the contract. So she shows up uh, at, at this witch's labyrinth, and Mommy's like, oh, I, I told you, next time I see you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defeat you. And she, like, ties her up in some magical Mommy ribbons. Yeah, and it's like, and it's like, if you struggle, like, they only will bind you harder. Yeah. 
So they go in and the theme is pills and candy mm. and needles. I guess it's like sweets too. They're like little cookies and stuff that are stamped with the little Charlotte image on them. The witch is named Charlotte. Again, all this stuff is stuff you have to look up. I, mm. None of it is very apparent. No. Their names are written in these like they call they're called runes on the um, on the Wikipedia. So as they're walking through and trying to find Sayaka, they have this conversation, which I love. They they like are walking, and Maruka says. Uh, tells mommy that she's been thinking about all the different wishes that she can make. She basically says, I don't have like a particular thing that it feels like I'm put on this earth to do. And so having, being a magical girl would give me a sense of, like a sense of identity. And and the ability have. to like help people. Right. And, yeah, that, that's, that's my, <clears throat> like you. She very specifically is like basically her yes. wish is to be mommy. And then mommy's like, Okay, okay, now that we're alone and is not here, let me be super, super real with you. <laughs> My life is horrible. I live by myself. I don't have any friends. Uh, anytime I'm going through something hard, all I can do is cry alone, oh, I think is God. what she says. She, and she says, like, you, you will get hurt. You won't be able to go on dates or hang yeah. out with your friends. Yeah. The stakes of what it actually means to be a magical girl are laid out in very stark relief. And, and she's just like, yeah, it's a lonely, it's a lonely, miserable life. Mm-hmm. And then Madoka says, well, you're not alone anymore. You oh have us God. as friends. And not, she, not us, me. I think yeah. that's important. Me. Yeah. And Mommy's like, oh, shit. You're yeah. Right. Mommy says, I found someone <laughs> who's willing to stay and fight by my side. Will you really stay with me? Yeah. She's like very, very... You can tell that the idea of having an actual friend who cares about her is extremely compelling to her and like emotional for and her. And just wild, just yeah. totally not something she had ever considered before. Yeah. And this kind of completely cheers her up. Like she had been a little bit sulky and then she's like, okay, great. Like, let's go find this witch and um, and then we'll make you a magical girl and like we'll go celebrate being magical girls together by having cake. Well, and she says, she says, <laughs> if you can't think of a wish. Oh, right, right, She right. says, and she's like, well, what do you want to wish for? Uh, like, you could be a billionaire. You could have a perfect boyfriend. And Madoka says, eh, those things aren't that important to me. And she <laughs> says, okay, well... If we can't think of anything, we'll just have a really big feast with cake. And, like, and that's Monica's, what we'll do. Monica's like, I can't wish for cake. <laughs> and Mommy's like, well, you better think of a good wish then. Yeah, like, Because yeah. otherwise we're doing the cake. Yeah. But she's just like, she's basically skipping at this point. And, and, and Mommy says, so yeah, it's a celebration to announce the two of us becoming a magical girl yeah. duo. Sayaka oh, is so- not in the picture at all. Yeah. So uh, they they go and they find they find uh, Sayaka and Kyubei. And who knows what Kyubei has been telling Sayaka this entire time. We do not see it. Um, and then they're like, oh, well, there's the witch. And it's this tiny little thing. And, and mommy is so jacked up at this point on friendship. She's just like, well, this is going to be easy. Like, let's go. Let's go wipe oh, this thing God. out. And, uh, and the, 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 this does not bode well. Well, it ends pretty quickly. I was thinking that it was like a kind of drawn out thing. And then suddenly it's like 30 seconds or 45 let, yeah. seconds. The thing kills her in 30 seconds. Uh, it, it's a little tiny floppy thing. I don't even know what kind of animal it looks like. I think it's like a, it's like, I saw it oh, described nice. as a caterpillar. Oh, oh no, the original, the other form. Yeah. That's a, yeah. yeah that's like so a it has two yeah. forms. So first it's in its little form. It's just like this little floppy thing sitting at this really high table. She she uh, t- shoots it and shoots it in the head, and then it sprouts into its next form, which is this giant like clown faced caterpillar, and it just swoops down and about two seconds bites and her head off, gah! and then uh, eats her. And it doesn't eat her. No, it totally does. Or does, does it eat? I think it, but like lets at least part of her drop out because I noticed that last I watched it. No, it drops. Okay. Let's go through. Okay, okay. How, yeah, we how, how this happened? How the eating? How the, the the consumption? So it comes down. She's standing there, and it swoops down, and then this is what we see. We see the ribbon that's been holding uh, Homura disappears. Yeah. And that's how you know. That's how you know. She's that's no real good. That's a real good. It's really visual storytelling. Good. Great shot. And 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 Homura also knows immediately. She's like, yeah, she's oh like, my oh God. shit. Um, and then we go back. We see we see the. The screen cuts out at the top of her, like at her neck, basically. We see the body go limp. And then in wide shot, we see it follow the floor. And then we see the caterpillar dive down oh, and start yeah. eating it. Oh. And Sayaka and Madoka are just 
like they've lost their their minds. Uh, and and Cubay pounces. Cubay's like, quick, gotta ma- do it. Make a wish. Make a wish. It's like, dude. Yeah. Come on. Like, like let, just give them a second. Yeah. Also, there's another magical girl in the building, and she indeed swoops in. Homer comes in and saves the day uh, and kills the monster in a way that we can't quite figure out right now. Mm-hmm. Like, how does she kill that monster? <laughs> it just appears to kind of, she She hops around, mm-hmm. and then it explodes from the inside. Um, she doesn't have any weapons, as far as we can tell. Nope. How does Homer kill that monster? We'll have to find that out. It's on a another, mystery. On another episode. But, you know, in the meantime, she has once again prevented Madoka and Sayaka from, from becoming magical girls. And and Madoka <clears throat> and Sayaka are just like, uh... No, Homer says, she's like, burn this image into your memory. This is what it means this to is, be, yeah, to be a magical girl. This is the real shit right now. <laughs> So, yeah, message received. This is what it means to be a magical girl. Um, and so in, in episode four, Madoka is pretty shaken. This entire episode is largely about, about what mommy's life meant. And a lot of characters are discussing it. So, again, we wake up with, with Madoka in her house. And she's very emotional. And... Uh, and she, at one point, she's having breakfast with her family, and, and she just breaks down saying, I'm alive, and your cooking tastes so good. Yeah, and they're just like, <laughs> what? Is everything all right? Um, so at one point, uh, Madoka goes to Mommy's apartment, I guess kind of just to, to confirm that she's dead or something, and... And to be back in this space that just, you know, in the past two episodes has been romanticized as this ideal of, of maturity and independence. And, and now it just feels like this empty yeah, shell. Yeah, and, and literally romanticized. Like, I, I kind of didn't quite get to this when we were talking about episode three. But I do want to say, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but that just, like, that scene, like, that whole conversation that Madoka has with Mommy, like, right before she dies, and which is basically the first time that we get any semblance of Mommy's inner life, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, feels very similar, although obviously not exactly the same, uh, as sort of the, like, dead lesbians trope on right. a lot of TV, where, like, yeah. the moment that two women form, like, any type of romantic connection, or, like, more likely... If they've had a flirtatious relationship for a while and then they sleep together, one of them dies immediately. And that felt very much like what was happening here. So Madoka and Sayaka are basically the only people who know about what's happened to Mommy at their school because Mommy didn't go to their school. And... Um, And so they're basically... They basically are grieving on their own. And there's this whole idea of like... Like, what did Mommy's life mean uh, if nobody knew who she was and there's not even, like, she doesn't even have a family, like, there's no body left behind, uh, you know, nobody, she didn't apparently, for even though she is a magical girl and she's powerful and she can do all this stuff, like, her life does not really end up amounting to that much. And, and Kyube says that no one will know that, like, everyone will just assume she disappeared and no one will, like, probably no one will look for her. Yeah. And at, and at one point, Homura pull, pulls Madoka aside, and I remember there's like this idea, like they're still scared of Homura, but Madoka is talking with Homura, and she basically says, "Well, if nobody's gonna remember mommy, then I'll remember mommy. Like I'll, you know, and I'll remember you too." She says that about Homura as well, um, and. I think that's where Homura says, like, you're too nice to be a magical girl. Mm-hmm. Like, you're too nice for this business. This business is going to chomp you up and spit you out, kid. Um, so this is also, this episode, along with being about, like, R.I.P. Mommy, is also about how how Sayaka eventually does make the contract. What leads her to that? You know, after all this stuff has happened, she again goes to visit Kyosuke. Um, and that's where we see that, like, maybe this entire, like, CD club project is not working out so well. And is this, is this the part where we can talk about his hospital room? Because yes. I just want, like, so, so we talked a little bit about, about how big Mommy's apartment is, but, like, truly, like, if you're watching this now, or you just watched it, like, go back and look at one of the scenes set in his hospital room, 
because literally it's like a gigantic room that looks like a library with a very high ceiling and like beautiful carpets and his hospital bed is just like in a little corner by a fireplace like that's the hospital room and we were trying to figure out we were like is this actually at his home is it like you know he's he just has like in-home care or something no there's an exterior shot of a hospital this is the nicest they live in just like millionaire town like what's it what's the name of it's like a fictional town but anyway it's like 100% millionaires oh my god they're living in like they live in the capital and hunger games yeah they live in the rich part of neptune and this is all just like a long like (laughs) veronica mars (laughs) and like the scale of it i think is really important in these shots where he just like he looks really small but also takes up all of the attention in the shot and like you we get all these shots of her trying to sort of like pull herself together and like really articulate her composure before she goes to interact with him because he makes her really nervous yeah. Uh, and then in this episode, and that happens in the last episode too, but in this one, he like yells at her. Yeah. He's like, why do you keep doing this to me? You know, you know that every time I listen to somebody playing the violin, it only reminds me of what I can't do anymore. When they're, they're like talking about Debussy. Yeah. He actually throws the CD player and cracks it and like and his blood hand goes bleeds. everywhere. Oh God. Yeah. And it's really, it's really troubling. And, um, because he's, he, because he's saying like, you know, like, I don't know if I've had, I've explained this to you, and I don't know if he's explained this to us either at this point, but um, his hand isn't going to get better. He's yes. never going to play violin. So this isn't like a, you know, this isn't like a Jason Street, like someday. Well, I guess it is more like Jason Street. Yeah. Like, you're never going to play football again. Okay. This is, But this is why they need, there's no like shark injection Right. In this show, if they're gonna do, if they're gonna go full Jason Street, you know but, this, this podcast is like entirely a shadow friend podcast. <laughs> it comes up so much, but Wait, anyway, this is this. That's what the wish is. Like Sayaka's wish is the magic shark injection in Mexico. <laughs> oh man, I and that, I guess that means that Sayaka is Riggins. Riggins, Riggins, yeah. Okay, <laughs> anyway, I'm glad we figured that out too. Um, so, uh, so we kind of leave, we see that she has a new appreciation for the situation. And she's already asked, like, pretty point blank, like, can I wish for somebody else who's having a harder time than I am? Like, she's talked about this with mommy. And everyone is kind of like, well... Don't do that, maybe. Yeah. Like, don't waste that. Like, and also, like, I love that it's like, question your intentions with this. Do you actually want to help him? Or yes. do you want him to love you for helping yes. him? And this this was a, a, the one of the pieces of dialogue that I really wanted to talk about because, like, it's 100% correct. Yes. And and I think it's it's Kyoko who says this, right? No. Oh, who, who says that? Um, it, is uh, it Mommy in episode three? Yes, Mommy says okay. that. Okay. Yeah, and, like, and then Sayaka's like, damn, that's harsh. Yeah, and like, Mommy's like, says that. yeah, and Mommy says, sorry, <laughs> I'm being really blunt, but like, you really need to think about this before you make this yeah. decision. And she's, of course, like, correct. Yeah. That that's what, that's what she wants the wish to be. Um, but sometimes emotions and like bl- blood speaks louder than... Yeah, blood and broken CD players. Yeah. So we kind of don't see Sayaka again... For most of the episode. For a second. Um, and meanwhile, uh, Madoka is, is, is wandering in the city and they see their, their normie friend Hitomi uh, <laughs> skipping down the street um, with a witch's kiss on her neck, and she's gone to go join a suicide cult. Woo! Um, you know, in, in one of the city's, this enormously affluent city's many abandoned shacks, <laughs> these people have gone to, uh, to, to pour some bleach into a, into a bucket and drink it together. I love that, that Madoka realizes that it's poison because of, like, a flashback to, her mother telling her not to drink bleach oh. or something. <laughs> like, you'll kill our whole family. Thanks, thanks mom. <laughs> so, uh, Madoka is there with Hitomi. Hitomi's trying to get her to, uh, to, to join her in the, in the bleach drinking. She, she steals the bucket and dumps it. And then all the zombie, like, possessed people try to come after her. This is all because they've all gathered around, like, what then becomes a witch's labyrinth. And this witch is called Ellie. Yeah, and and how I don't know, I re- I remember at least one of the people in the Death Cult who's like a guy who just is like I've lost my job. Oh yeah, and yeah. I don't know. And He's kind like, of I, that's... I can I couldn't even run a small factory. Yes, I think yes. That's what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this is the weird. Like this is probably the part where the show's like conception of suicide gets most frustrating and dementory right well they become zombies yes yeah and they're talking about real life problems 
like real life things that can drive like help drive somebody to depression and and the that like that like a lot of these problems are implied to be the cause of institutions and it's like it's like it's like what if the real witch was capitalism right (laughs) but it's like that that like that's why that's the problem that a lot of them are having or that they feel like not fulfilled and like in like school or in all these different institutions and feeling lost and adrift if you don't know how to navigate those systems is like a very real societal problem this and a thing that a lot of people makes experience. Me feel like there's so much world building that we're not seeing about like this this the socioeconomic structure of Mitaki Habara City or whatever it's called. Like the fact <laughs> that like the fact that Kyosuke is in this opulent uh, yeah. like, hospital suite and then these people are like I lost my it's, job it's, and all are all drinking. My, wa- my wife left me. Uh, yeah. It's like a hundred percent like so post industrial. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like definitely and like and like somehow the the income inequality of the city has only benefited the people who are potential magical girls. Right. Which is weird because you would think <sighs> that at least you would think that at least in one case like Cube would go to a girl who was like really poor and be like, yeah, well, hey, well. Yes. There's, there's yes. somebody that we're gonna meet. Yes. The one, the token poor girl. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but but before we get there, um, uh, so so the the, the witch's uh, labyrinth shows up. I uh love this one. I think it's crazy. I love the way that it, like I was talking about before, like the way that it flattens the characters in it. Like Madoka mm-hmm. becomes a kind of uh like stretchy sort of super flat girl. Um. And the theme of it is apparently like computers and angels. I mean, and that's the post. That's the post-industrial. Like every the, the the computers took our jobs. Yeah. Oh, that's. Oh my god. We need a whole episode just on <laughs> economics in Madoka. And none of this stuff had ever occurred to me before. This is incredible. Like, like and why? that's what the that's what the computer because th- at least for the factory dude, like hundred percent, that's what like that's what happened to him. Oh my gosh. Wait, I'm looking up some of the yeah. So it's it's these yeah these little angel demon things and and this little they look girl, like marionettes. This girl with like long pigtails like hovering over a computer. It's, she's a box witch. Her nature is covetous. And this guy he says uh, like he couldn't keep the factory open. Whatever. There's no room for a person like me in today's world, which is the phrase that Madoka uses. And then he says, "I'm obsolete." Ooh. That he literally says that. Wow. Wow. Okay, now I need to... This time through, I'm going to pay way more attention to the the, the labyrinths because I feel like there's a lot in there that just feels like a... Yeah, like you said, like a huge barrage at first. And and even like... And this is maybe too many different levels of like computer subtext, but Hitomi says, we can finally get rid of these bodies that hold us back. <gasps> and they're, get, they're getting uploaded to the cloud. Like that's what's, hap- that's what's happening in the labyrinth. And then it just becomes serial experiments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's incredible! So they 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 go into the the labyrinth, and it or she's in the labyrinth, and she's there with. I don't think she's with because doesn't Kube say at the beginning of the episode that he's gonna like give her some space? That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Kube is no longer there. He's basically given up at this point. He's like, well, uh, I don't think he's given up. I think he's he's playing into being emotionally that's distant. True. He's denising. Uh, right. He's denising <laughs> with Madoka. Um, he's like, I'm gonna f- go find somebody else. Like, so yeah, he's not he's not with them during. And who who does who did he fall? He found somebody. Well, he found somebody yeah. <laughs> who shows up to save the day and the switch uh, the switch battle. Looking pretty fresh in yes. a huge cape. Oh my, yeah. She looks pretty awesome. And that's the first, and like, I love that that's how Madoka knows that she, like, not because she showed up in the labyrinth to fight the witch, but because she's rocking a fresh new outfit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's like, like, you're, you're close. <laughs> that's the first thing she focuses on. It's amazing. And, and she's like, oh yeah, this old thing. Um, Guess I changed my mind. Yeah. But Sa- yeah, Sayaka is indeed a witch now. Uh, she has a sword. A magical girl. Not a witch. No, yeah, sorry. Yes, I guess a magical girl now. And she she wins. She kills the wit. Like, yeah. she does it. And at the same time, we see that a certain someone can suddenly use their hand again. Hmm. I wonder what happened yeah. there. So... And it's... I, I love how triumphant, like, because obviously there's, like, an element of, like, cool, like, she saved the day, but also they've done enough work on, like, the nature of this contract to make it also very sad. Yeah. 
when she shows up and yeah. like I really appreciate how complicated the experience yeah. of watching that is. Yeah. You're not a hundred yeah, it's Because you like, know what she did. And and so no yeah, notably, Cube's not here for any of this. Where's Cube? Cube's gone to go find another magical girl. Um again Cube's like maybe not entire reason of existing, but one of them is to pit girls against each other. So uh, there's there's a girl who's what is she eating in this? What is this apples she, right in the first time? Though? Is it or I don't remember. Apples she, is is the is main that next, one. Yeah, but but I think in this one she's eating like a like a curry pan or a, like a biscuit or something like that. Um, a girl with a little vampire fang. Named Kyoko, Kyoko Sakura, um, and Kyubei's like, yeah, so there's a new magical girl in town. You better go figure that out. And that's sort of where we leave off. We've got another We've another, got another magical girl on the board. Oh my god, yeah. And Kyoko just doesn't care. Like, she says, oh, I heard mommy died. Yeah, but... you get this idea. I think at the end of this is where you kind of start to get the sense of a whole world filled with magical girls, and Kyubei is talking to all of them. Yeah, he's just texting everybody, yeah, yeah. and everyone's like, like Cube, like what's up? And he's just like, sorry, I gotta go, like I gotta go. Yeah, God, God damn it, Cube. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll get to see more of Kyoko next week. I also really like Kyoko a lot. Um, but thank you again so much for talking about these uh, these first four episodes and getting our, our Madoka discussion kicked off. And once again, people can find you on Twitter at Eric E R I C. Therm, T-H-U-R-M. If you live in New York, you should come to the thing that I host uh, every second Wednesday at Littlefield at 8 o'clock. It's called Drunk Ted Talks. That's the name of the theme. It's fun. Thing. People tell me it's fun. I wouldn't know. I'm always drunk. We've heard it's fun. I've done it. I'm, I've done it once before. It was fun. It's fun. I haven't been to it at Littlefield yet, though. So, um, yeah. So check that out in, in if you live in a major metropolitan area. That's the show. Thank you very much as always for listening. And thank you to my guests, Eric and Molly, once again. If you're not subscribing to this podcast already on iTunes, I don't know what you're waiting for. Please go do that. And please also rate and review the podcast on iTunes. And as I mentioned before, those of you who leave a review might be able to get this fancy schmancy Blu-ray of Ghost in the Shell. So um, more incentive than ever to share your opinions about something online and you can find me on twitter at emily yoshida and if you feel like uh, you want to be a part of the if you want to be a part of the it's cool to like anime family and uh, chip in on patreon i can be found at patreon.com slash anime podcast and i will be also releasing some bonus material from this episode because um eric therm and i talked for over an hour about two episodes of madoka magica like you do so uh, look, that'll be up soon for people who are supporting the podcast on Patreon. All right, that is it. Have a great week, everybody. I will see you back here next week. Bye. Bye.